Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Good afternoon, Father. We thank you for the opportunity to gather again in your name. It's wonderful to be here and to be a part of the body of Christ, and particularly to be a part of the body of Christ locally where we can identify one with another in your name, in this place, old and young, black and white, male and female. And Father, we relish opportunities to get together because we know, Lord, it's, it's in these times when two or three are gathered together in your name that you're there in the midst in wonderful ways to bless. And so, Father, we thank you that we can be encouraged that that's your desire, that's your determined purpose as we collectively come together, Lord, in your name this afternoon. So please bless our time. Speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear. And then give us the, the patience and also the ability to be obedient to that word. Allow it to change and affect our lives, we pray, so that we can look more like Jesus. Amen. My name is Robert. I'm one of the, the three pastors here at Calvary Chapel, South London. And today, we're going to take a break from our study in the book of Acts, and we're going to look particularly at church membership. And the topic for today is five biblical foundations for the importance of church membership. Five biblical foundations for the importance of church membership. Now, with us getting ready to have our first membership meeting next week. How many of you remember that? Next Sunday after service, our first membership meeting. Um, we want to take an opportunity to focus on the issues specifically as they relate to this issue of church membership. In order to refresh your thinking as we approach this important introduction. Remember, we gave out these packs and we ask that you would read them carefully and also read the book on baptism and church membership in the hope that next week when we come together, you're fully familiar with what we're introducing and we'll have opportunity to respond with regard to the contents of that, that brochure. Now, this is not an attempt to convince you of the need for membership as much as it's an an opportunity for you to be informed as to the benefits, the benefits of and the biblical evidence for. Let's look at five biblical foundations for the importance of church membership. First of all, church discipline. Membership is implied by the way the New Testament shows that we are supposed to discipline church members. Membership is implied by the way the New Testament shows that we are supposed to discipline church members. Matthew chapter 18, classic portion of text, starting at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault 
between you and him alone. That means you don't go tell your brethren or get on the phone or send a text. You speak to the person themselves. This is the right way to deal with these issues. If he listens to you or if she listens to you, you've gained your brother. Oh, you're right, you know. I dropped the ball right there. I need to ask God to forgive me. Amen. Well, let's pray in it. But if that's not their response, verse 16, if they don't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. You bring these other individuals along with you, making them clear as to what has happened, and then you go to the person again. But now you're a bit more heavy-handed, right? Because they never listened the first time, so you're now, all right then. Fam, I'm, this is a serious issue. You know what I mean? And I've had to bring this brother and this sister along so they can bear witness to the fact that you're being confronted. Now, verse 17, if they refuse to listen to them, what do you do? You tell it to the church. You tell it. Imagine stepping to someone on those two occasions and, and they still don't want to hear. It gets to the point where, as elders who are responsible here, we then have to say, you know what? This, the person obviously ain't listening. So we have to take it to the next level. And we have to bring it to you. And if you've been here for more than a year and a half, two years, you know that we've done that on two occasions. Now, thank the Lord, on those two occasions, both of those individuals were completely repentant. And we thank the Lord for that. And that's the aim. And it never took them big lengths to get those individuals to that place. Thank the Lord. Because they were quick to understand and recognize their sin. And it's sad because, you know what? We do that when sins are blatant and obvious. But, uh, and we can sit there like in judgment, even though no one did. And I would hope that we never would. But it's easy to sit there in judgment and know that in your closet, you've got mad skeletons. You know what I mean? So, as I said earlier, you know I'm saying? we have to be careful how we, how we deal with the issues, but deal with the issues we must. See, and after you bring it to the church, if he, ref if he or she refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That is basically, you regard that individual now as someone who is not a Christian. They may be a Christian in profession, but they're not a Christian in the, in the application of the truth. They're not walking the talk. It's hypocrisy. So then we mark that, mark that individual in that direct and specific sense. And see, the church is the final court of appeal in matters of church discipline as it relates to the individual. Now, if there is no church membership, Check it. If there is no church membership, how can you define the group that you bring these issues to? Putting a person in the position of an unbeliever, corporately, out of the church, this is a serious issue. When it says, tell it to the church, 
My point is, they knew who they were talking about. So on those occasions where we've done that, you know we've said, excuse me, this is the end of the service. If you're not a part of the, the fellowship here at South London, you're just visiting, we'd ask you to excuse us, please. But we're growing now. We're getting bigger now as a fellowship. When our chest ain't high, but we have to admit that we are growing. You know what I mean? And with that growth comes an, a, necessi- a, a, a necessary response. And as we continue to grow, we need to put things in place in order that we know who we are. Because as, as the family gets bigger, it's going to be hard to identify. And as we've said, we've begun to implement the first phase. As we work us, our way through these five phases, you're going to see how we have determined in accordance with good advice, biblical instruction, and the, and the, and the, the leading of God's spirit, you're going to see how we're going to try to work this out so that we can define, okay, we've got an issue. We need to bring it to the church. Well, who's the church? We know exactly who the church is here at South London because we've got a membership. And individuals have made a commitment and said, this is me. I'm here, not as a, as a, a bystander. I'm not here just to sightsee. It's okay to sightsee if you're visiting. You might be from another country or not from Scotland or Ireland or somewhere like that, and you're visiting. It's all good. But we're talking about individuals who are, who are prepared to make a commitment here like, yeah, this is my home. And I'm going to be here so that I can benefit, but I'm here so that I can contribute. Amen? A quote from John Piper. And a lot of the material that I'm going to share is, is from this, this great man's ministry. And I thank the Lord for that. He makes a statement about this. He says, if there is no church membership, how can you define the group that will take up this sensitive and weighty matter of exalting the unrepentant person and finally rendering a judgment about his standing in the community. It's hard to believe that just anyone who showed up claiming to be a Christian could be a part of that gathering. Surely the church must be a definable group to handle such a weighty matter. You know who you mean when you take it to the church. Some get to act on this and others don't. How do we distinguish between the two? If we had to do that, that is excommunicate someone. Who of you would be involved in making that decision? These people, that is the church, needs to be an identifiable group. Hence, membership is implied by the way the New Testament shows that we are supposed to discipline church members. Imagine putting a person out of the church, identifying them as an unrepentant Christian, this is a very big deal. It's a very big decision, which brings us to our second point, which is straight up excommunication. Church membership is implied by the way the New Testament shows that we are supposed to excommunicate church members. Now, to excommunicate means to deprive the right of local church fellowship and membership, to take that privilege away. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read through the chapter, so I'm not going to put it up on the screen. 
First Corinthians chapter 5. Starting at verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. From among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And, is, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all mean in the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. Since then you'd have to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he or she is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church who you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil, check it, the evil person from among you. From among you. The only reason they could put someone out is because they were already in and could be identified as such. It's very challenging, it's very threatening. It's called accountability. And I speak for myself, Pastor P and Pastor E. All three of us have got our hands up and we're saying, we want to be accountable. We need to be accountable. Therefore, we are committed to the local church. Our hands are up when it comes to signing the membership application form. We're in. Why? Because you, what you, you mans love to be accountable. You love, you love to be held against your word. What you said this, we're going to hold you 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 really want that? Well, we don't really want it. We don't really like it. I mean, who likes that? Who wants that? But like a child who needs to eat its greens, we know it's good for us. So we're going to set pace in that sense, and we're saying, hey, we're going to be the first to sign up. And say, we make ourselves accountable to the local church. Now, it's, to the local ch it's not to the church universal. It's to the local church. Now, such a, a formal removal, taking a person out in that sense, excommunicating them, could not be possible if there wasn't a formal membership. How do you remove someone from a group if that group is not, is not identified, if the group is not defined? Which logically leads to another point. 
See, how do you know who is accountable? That is, who is submitted and willing to be scrutinized. Ouch, right? Now that's the first question to ask. Who is willing to personally place themselves under scrutiny, under analysis, under examination? You see how serious it is to become a Christian? Proverbs gives us an example of the person who will, that is, give themselves to scrutiny and analysis. And it also gives us an example of the person who won't. Proverbs chapter 9, starting at verse 9, it says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will, and he will be wiser still. Still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. He may not want to hear what you're saying, you know. Another proverb will say you hear it and he'll, he'll, he'll kind of walk away and kind of like ignore you. But later he comes back and says, you know what, you're right. You're absolutely right. You see, one, pride will prevent a person from doing that. And we can be proud as Christians. But you go away and the Holy Spirit deals with your case, right? Deals with my case. And I, come, I humble myself and come back and say, forgive me. And I need to do that because the scripture says, God resists the proud. But what does he do with the humble? He gives them grace. So it makes sense to be humble, right? Now that's the person who's got sense. That's the person who's willing to humble themselves. Well, but what about the other person? Well, verse 7 of Proverbs 9 says, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. <laughs> do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. The question is, are you willing to be reproved? Or can nobody not tell you nothing? Because if nobody can't tell you nothing, then you're not willing to make yourself accountable. You're not willing to be analyzed, are you? You're not willing to be examined. examined. But the wise man says, you know what, like David, Lord... David doesn't say, let me just search my heart. He needs to, and he did. And we ought to, and we do. But then, really, we need to take it to that next level where we say, boy, you know what? Lord, I examine my heart. Really, I need to say, Lord, you search my heart and see if there's any wicked weight in me. Because when I search my own heart, I skip stuff. But when I present it to the Lord, he's like, hmm. And he's good because he's not going to crush us. But he will expose those sins like the woman caught in adultery. Secondly, it's one thing submitting yourself. But here's another thing. Who is now willing to do the scrutinizing? Who's willing to be their brother's keeper? Who's willing to be their sister's keeper? Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Oh. There we go. Is that right? Oh, skip the verse. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Oh, is that at the bottom? No, it's not. <laughs> Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's the brother or sister who, you know, they love you to the point where as much as it's, it's going to hurt them, as much as they risk their relationship with you, they're going to tell you the truth. 
because they're your keeper. They're going to... Whether you want to be made accountable or not, they're going to make you accountable. How many of you know that's love? That's real love in action. Open rebuke, the scripture says, is better than hidden love. Don't tell me, you can't tell me that you love me and you know that I need something and you're not giving it to me. And sometimes what I need is, is what I may not like. And it's a rebuke. It's confrontation. And it's being told that I'm wrong. I thank the Lord for my brothers, for Pastor Patrick and Pastor E. Because I'm a pastor, but you know what? The word pastor means shepherd, right? I'm a pastor, I'm a shepherd, but I'm still a sheep. I'm both. And I need shepherding. And I thank the Lord for these brothers because when I begin to go off center, then man draw me back quick. And it's a blessing to have those who love you to the point where they will tell you the truth. Particularly at those times when you need to hear it. Amen. So, it's one thing making yourself accountable. We need to do that. But then also we need to make individuals accountable. You know, primarily, we're really supposed to, apart from others scrutinizing us and examining us, we're supposed to examine ourselves, right? Second Corinthians 13, verse 5 says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So yet, when we fail to do so, God in his mercy has a framework in place in order to help us to do this when we can't do it for ourselves. It's called the local church. To not want to submit myself under the authority of the local church is to be a lone ranger. Ain't no, and ain't no lone rangers in the church. We see that in a minute further outlined. Proverbs 18 verse 1. It's a classic verse. For those who deem themselves to be lone rangers. It says, whoever isolates himself or herself, check it, they seek their own desire. You know, I'm not really just going to, I'm not going to be a part of, I don't, I don't really feel like I want to go to church for the next month or so. And I mean, I just really want, I need to just spend some time on my own. That's what I need. I don't need to be around anyone right now because people just kind of complicate my issues. I just want to be on my own. And I mean, just kind of take care of stuff. I'll just spend some time with the Lord. And it sounds very pious. It sounds very spiritual. But under, underlying Underneath it all, even sometimes we don't know it. And, and we're all tempted to do that, aren't we? Just to isolate ourselves. I can't deal with seeing nobody right now. No one can ask me no questions about my life or what I'm doing. Or, I mean, I'd have to lie to them, right? <laughs> Whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he rages against all wise judgment. Another quote by John Piper. There are two implications here. One is that there is an in the church group 
and an outside church group. Being in the church is definable. The other implication is that a person can be removed from being in the church. Such a formal removal would not be possible if there were no such thing as a clear membership. Who is an accountable part of this body? And who is not? All of that relates to excommunication. I mean, how would you feel if you were a visitor this afternoon and we collectively just voted you out? (laughs) And asked you not to come back again until you were repentant with regard to your sin. I mean, you'd be like, yeah, I'm not even a part of this church. (laughs) But see, how would we verify that? How would we verify that you're not a part of this church? To say a person is out is to first prove that they were in. Otherwise, how do you define out? A third point. Christians are required to submit to their leaders. I've got a hustle. Church membership is implied in the biblical requirement of Christians to be submitted to a group of church leaders, elders, or pastors. The point here is that without membership, who is it that the New Testament is referring to who must submit to a specific group of leaders? Some kind of express willingness or covenant or agreement or commitment, that is membership, has to precede a person's submission to a group of leaders. Now, around it's been very informal. We have individuals that will come and say, Pastor Patrick, I just want to say, you know what? For one reason or another, I've been at another church, but I want you to know that now this is my church. Now, that's very informal. Very informal. Now, if six months down the road, that person changes their mind, what do you do? Consider the way the New Testament talks about the relationship of the church to her leaders. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. These are hard verses to communicate as a leader, but hey, it's the Bible, right? Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, And not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. (laughs) That says to me that God's going to hold me accountable for you. But then there's going to come a point where God's going to say, Okay, Robert, I've dealt with you now. Mr. X, Mrs. Y, would you please please come in now? 1 Timothy 5 says, Let the elders who rule well. Be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. There are many, trust me, I know, because I've been in both camps now. There are those who, when they come to teach the word of God, come to teach the Bible, they don't come prepared. They come with a, a full Bible and an empty mouth expecting that the Holy Spirit is going to inspire them to teach. 
Now, I'm not saying that we don't need the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit as we teach. I mean, that goes without say, right? It's like a no-brainer. But if that's all I'm depending on, then I'm, I'm quite foolish. Because I could get up here, and there, be, there may be moments where the Lord will get a hold of me by His Spirit, but hey, there could be portions of that which I communicate that are me. It ain't the Holy Spirit. And you know it, I know it, you've heard it, you've seen it. Individuals that don't work hard at t teaching and preaching. Teaching and preaching ain't just standing up and, wow, did you hear what Pastor Ephraim said? He's heavy, that sermon that he preached. He's heavy. Like he just got up here and opened his mouth. Now, you know, Pastor Ephraim is blessed like that. He can literally get up and just open his mouth. You know what I mean? But I can tell you that him and Pastor P and myself, we spend hours laboring over the word in order that we might come and teach you something that is substantial and that's well-grounded, not stuff that we make up on the spot. And there are those who are in here who are involved now in teaching and preaching, and you know what I'm talking about. Until you have to stand up and communicate God's word, you really don't fully understand and appreciate how hard it is. I mean, I say that, but at the same time, all you've got to do is come up here and read the psalm at the beginning of the service, and you start trembling. So some of you do know and appreciate that, but know who to honor with regard to those that rule. Those that lead. First Thessalonians 5 says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Not, not, not particularly because of the person, but because of their work. Just, it's like, like your mum or your dad. You have to have a certain amount of respect. Even if they're not the greatest mum or the greatest dad, you still need to respect them. You still need to honour them, right? And esteem them highly in love because of their job. Be at peace among yourselves in that sense. How is this leadership and this submission going to work if there's no membership defining who has made the commitment to be led and who has been chosen as leaders? I mean, it'd be, it'd be foolish to say, well, I'm going to a church. Well, who's, who's the leaders, or who's the pastor, or who's the pastors? Well, I'm not really sure, you know. That'd be ludicrous. But then, why does it change when we talk about those that the leaders are responsible for? It works both ways, surely. If we downplay the importance of membership, it is difficult to see how we could take these commands to submit and to lead seriously. You can't take them seriously if you're not prepared to define who the leaders are and who the people are, who the church is. Four. Shepherds are required to take care for their flock. Shepherds are required to take care for their flock. Church membership is implied in the way that the New Testament requires elders 
to care for the flock in their charge. Of course, elders can extend their love to anyone and to everyone, visitors included, within the limits of their ability. And as we're growing, our ability is becoming more limited. See, but the question is whether the Bible tells elders that they have to have a special responsibility and care for a certain group. And that is a group of members. Because, again, it's one thing when we're small, but when we begin to grow, check it. Two weeks ago, we had four people in hospital all at the same time. Last week, we had three people in the same hospital, Lewisham Hospital. Now, we're only a little tiny church. What happens when we become a much, much, much bigger church, which is what the Lord desires, which is what we desire, quality first, quantity second. But when we become bigger and there's 20 people in hospital, Pastor E, Pastor Pastor P and myself, we can only do so much. You know what I mean? Therefore... The process is to raise up other elders who the Lord in his grace is already raising up. Oh my goodness. Raise up other elders who would then also be able to care for the flock. But we need to know who the flock is. Otherwise, we'll begin to expend energy in directions that are not our responsibility. I'm not responsible for someone who goes to another local church. I'm responsible for this body. We're responsible for those of you who are members here. You're our first responsibility. We love anyone who comes and visits. And we love other Christians worldwide. But we're not Superman. Like the X-Men. That's, that's not us. We're limited. <laughs> like. I like Pastor Pete. Consider Acts chapter 20, verse 28, where Paul tells the elders how to care for their flock. He says, Pray careful, sorry, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church which he obtained with his own blood. So see why it needs to be defined. And then also, can you see that it's our job to care for you? Because the Lord purchased you with his blood, which is more precious than anything that can be identified. The way Peter speaks to the elders in 1 Peter 5 is even more clear on this point. He says, shepherd the flock of God to the leaders, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, my goodness, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. One of the big responsibilities that we have is to set pace not directly, I mean, a part of caring for you is to, is to pray with you, is to come and visit you if you're, if you're not well or 
so on and so forth, but a big part of our responsibility is to turn around, that is for me to turn my back on you, right? And set you an example. That's why showing stuff earlier was so heartbreaking. See, as a pastor, as a shepherd, how many of you know shepherds don't drive the flock? The flock of sheep, they're not goats, they're not cows. You drive cows. Hey, psh, and you lick them and, right? But shepherds don't drive sheep. What do shepherds do? Shepherds lead the sheep. So one of, one of our big responsibilities, people will be like, well, you know, it's your responsibility to do this, that, come around and paint my garden fence. <laughs> Very often, that's the typical picture you get of a pastor in a church or a vicar in a church. I lie? Yo, some of them things, I'm sorry, are not our responsibility. <laughs> and I mean, but a big part of our responsibility is to set an example by the way we live our own lives. Another quote from John Piper, he says, Those in your charge, speaking to the leaders, your portion, your lot, implies that the elders knew whom they were responsible for. This is just another way of talking about membership. If a person does not want to be held accountable by a group of elders or be the special focus of the care of a group of elders, they will resist the idea of membership. They will resist God's appointed way for them to live and be sustained in their faith. Fifth. <clears throat> Church membership is it? relates to the metaphor of the body. We're going to end on this one. Church membership is implied in the metaphor of the body. Church membership is implied in the metaphor of the body, um, particularly in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through to 31. The original meaning of the word member is member of a body, like hand and foot and eye and ear. I'd be like, you can't separate yourself if that's what you are, which is an I. You can't isolate yourself and want to go and do your own thing. Well, I'm an ear, and I don't business what the I has to say. I'm going to go over here and do my own thing. Excuse me? Well, you know, you can call yourself anything, but what you ain't is an, an ear. That's what you ain't, because an ear is attached to the body. So that ear can do its part, and it can also allow the eye. Where are we going? I mean, I, 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 can hear, I can hear a car coming. Look! And they're both working in, in beautiful contiguity, right? We're a body. We're not just a body, but we're members of a body, because a body's made up of different parts. That's the imagery behind the word member, in the text. In verse 12 of 1 Corinthians, it says, Just as the body is one and has many members. There we go. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ, who is who? The head of the body. So the question this imagery raises for the local churches, 
Who intends to be treated as a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear in this body? There is a unity and relationship implied in the imagery of the body. Can you see that? There is something unnatural about a Christian attaching himself to a body of believers and not being a member of that body. How many of you know Christians who can't sit still? How many of you know Christians who can't commit themselves? How many of you know Christians who are supposed to be a tree planted by the rivers of water in order that they may bear fruit in their season? Scripture says their leaves will not wither and everything they put their hand to will prosper if they're planted. What's with, what's with trees pulling themselves up and moving from one orchard to the next? When they feel like it, or when they get offended, or because the worship ain't the way they like it, or because the word's too harsh, or someone gets in their face and says, hey, your behavior at the moment is questionable. Yo, I'll be like, and yet we know so many individuals that do that, and do it to their own detriment, and to the and to the, the body doesn't benefit from, from Christians behaving like that. That's selfish. But when we understand that we're a part of the body, my heart, look, my liver, is, it may not be as important as my heart, but how many of you know my liver is important? Well, the minute my liver starts acting in a fashion that contradicts my body, there's a problem. There's a problem. There's something unnatural and unhealthy about a Christian attaching himself to a body of believers and not becoming a member, a fully functioning member of that body. The part, my liver is there to benefit from that which my heart produces. It's the heart's job to pump that blood around the body. But the liver has another job. And it may not be as important as the heart, but it's, it's important nonetheless. It has its place and it's necessary. I need my liver to function in conjunction with the heart. Every single, every single person who is saved and in the body of Christ is a member. So many different members, but we're all members and we need to contribute because one, we need to be receiving. That's the easy part. But the other part is, Pastor P, the other part is we need to be giving to the body. It ain't about just receiving the liver's got its part to do, and it, and it must do its part. It needs, must do its part for the body to function properly and correctly. And here's where we end for this week. This is an expectation for every single believer. So for these five reasons, and more we believe and we'll go on to talk about that refer to membership. 
help us to understand that membership is a New Testament expectation for all believers. Each of us should be a member of a local body of believers. We should take responsibility to discipline those of the body who do not repent from public sin that brings reproach on the name of Christ. We should declare ourselves part of the body so that if we are wayward, we ourselves would be liable to such exclusion. Careful. We should take our position under the leadership and the authority of a particular group of elders who, I might add, need to be established by another local church that is valid. Ain't no business about, well, you know what? How long ago did this church start? Oh, church started about five years ago. Oh, is it? So you're the pastor. Um, which church did you come from? And, what they, and they don't want to talk about it. And if you dig a bit deeper, they actually just started a church on a whim. That's not, that's not healthy. And it's not my job this morning to try and determine who those groups are or those churches are. But I'm saying for us as leaders, as elders, you know what? You can validify who we are by, by, by speaking to someone who's valid themselves. Who, can, who, you, who you can speak to who has somebody that they're associated with who is valid themselves. Ain't none of this hurry come up. You know what I mean? I'm gifted. God has called me. But, wait, but who sent you? When we get back into Acts, when we hit chapter 13, even you're going to see even the Apostle Paul was not someone who gifted what I saw the Lord on the road to Damascus. What? Tell me that I'm not valid in ministry. But he didn't. And it was at least 10 years before he actually went out into personal ministry and that which was rubber stamped and validated by the elders at the church at Antioch. We should take our position under the leadership and the authority of a particular group of elders who are valid. We should declare ourselves part of a group who expect to be watched over and cared for by a particular group of elders. And we should find our place in the organic whole as a body part, a member of a local body of Christ. That is God's plan for us and for this church, this assembly, this community, this ecclesia. That's what we mean by membership. All of those aspects of membership are rooted in the truth that the local church is an expression of the universal church. Part of what it means to belong to the body of Christ is to belong to a local body. Next week, we'll look further at the detail as outlined in your membership pack. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Thank you that you are our father and that we are children. That means we're a part of your family. And your family is identifiable. 
as, as hard as it is to say to the world, Father, not everyone is a child of God. Not everyone is in the family of God. As hard as that is to say, Father, to unbelievers is the truth. And there is a determined group that are yours, and there is a determined group that does not belong to you. It says in Acts 2 that 3,000 specifically were added to the number of the church. And Father, as we think about what it means to be a part of the church, Lord, help us. Help us as leaders, Father. Because we recognize that getting this wrong could be so damaging. But Father, when we get it right, people are encouraged. People feel welcome. People feel identified. People sense calling. People have a commitment. People have direction, have focus. Lord, as a child in your family, I know there's things I can do and I can't do. Because I know as my father, you're going to hold me accountable. And that is terrifying, it's challenging, but at the same time, I feel so secure in that. Like my children feel secure in my love that's balanced with mercy, but balanced with discipline. And so, Father, as we continue to think about membership, help us. Help us to look like the New Testament church. Help us to look like the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ as we relate properly to the head. For Jesus' sake, I pray.